Welcome back to Never Ending Stories uh, podcast. This time, not about uh, Bob Dylan records from the early 1970s, which I realize is everything that we've done for the last like two months on bonus episodes from Planet Waves to the 73 collection to, of course, New Morning. And we're going to do that again. I mean, I like doing that. I want to, because we talked about this in our previous episode. Uh, our main episode. I know you guys have talked a bunch about Under the Red Sky, but I'm putting in a request for that as a bonus episode at some point because I want to talk about. I want to. I want to make you guys talk about Under the Red Sky. I want. We got to do Under the that. Red Sky. We got to do it together through life at some point, which that's when we never oh, revisited. Uh, and we got it. We're gonna do it. We're gonna do some sort of uh, Sinatra era something with you at some point, Stephen. I don't know if we'll do the the whole triplicate deep dive, but um, we got We got to knuckle down on those records a little bit more. Well, and if if and if we dare basement tapes, basement tapes that'll be that'll, that'll be the be last the, episode. That'll be the last episode story <laughs> because it'll be the breakup episode. We'll never want to talk to each other again. We'll see, um, but we'll save that for the future. No, today we're talking about a communal favorite uh, and one of the few modern day contemporary artists I think who uh, you know uh, as a poet are, are good. Uh, well, you know, not only are good, but someone who I think uh, stands up to the poetry and uh, artistic nature of our main subject here, Mr. Bob Dylan. Folks, it's yeah. Dan Behar. It's Destroyer. We're just going to talk about our favorite Destroyer records. Yeah. What, a, what a great subject for conversation. Yeah, we're each going to give our top fives. And, you know, we've talked about this. We were, you know, texting before this episode. And, you know, like with Destroyer, it really is just like if you're, if you're trying to pick your favorite Bob Dylan song. Yeah. Picking your favorite Destroyer records you really could have like a different top five. No wrong answers. Anytime, any, anytime you try to do it. And, you know, as far as comparing Behar to Dylan, you know, Behar to me is one of the few singer-songwriters now who, like Dylan, like Lou Reed, like Van Morrison, he's never boring. Yes. Even when he's putting out a record that you might feel is lesser than his best work, it's not a boring record. And... If you don't like it at first, you're going to end up liking it in the long run because there's things that Behar does that maybe don't make sense the first time or the 10th time you hear it. And then you hear it again five years later and you're like, wow, he was way ahead of me. Holy shit. Yeah. And so there's a lot of great singer songwriters now, but I don't know that there are so many that are interesting in the way that these old legends are and that they can do things that seem perverse in the moment. And then years later, you're like, that was actually genius. I just didn't understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that there's very few artists who are capable of putting any record out these days where I really feel like it's going to define my year. But Destroyer is definitely one of those few. Uh, I was thinking about this recently because of Vampire Weekend putting out a new record uh, coming up soon. And there, that's another one where it's like, it's a big deal for me personally whenever they put out a record. I, it's like, I know I'm going to be listening to it that entire year and probably for many more years to come. So Destroyer is like definitely one of those for me. And Vampire Weekend is an interesting counterpoint, I think, because what I what I love so much about Destroyer, you know, I love fucking everything about Destroyer and what Dan does, but what I think is so remarkable about him, and, and this is what's different, you know, compared to someone like Vampire Weekend, is, like, he just makes records and keeps making records, man. Like, like modern day, like, record rollouts, right, they're events, they're a PR campaign, there's 
there's there's interviews and there's music videos and there's teasing Instagram posts and stuff like that. And like Vampire Weekend, you know, it took like six years for Father of the Bride to come out. And now here we are another half decade later and we're getting, um, what's this one called? Only God Was Above Us, Only God Was Above Us. Which like makes sense. A Vampire Weekend record is a fucking event. But like this is two records over the last 11 or 12 years. Behar just gets in the studio and cranks out a fascinating, fantastic new collection of songs, whether or not it's your favorite of all time, like like clockwork every two years. And I, I think like it, that that is a, a lost art, really, um, and not something that people are interested in doing, not something that the, the like economy based around making music is really set up to do anymore, because like you used to make money selling records, and that's why people would make them every 18 months, every two years or whatever, and now that's just, that's not what it is about. Um, and, and, and still, Behar just does that year after year after year, and I think ultimately over time, he's going to have stacked, he already has stacked up just one of the deepest, weirdest, widest bodies of work that is just like endlessly fascinating. Um, that, that uh, you know, stands up to someone like a Bob, someone like a Van, someone like a Lou, uh, people who are just lifers and have done this year after year after year instead of getting bogged down in these big hype cycles and taking so long in between albums. Not that everyone, you know, not that that's a, the wrong way to do it either, but just Dan's ability to, to just do that classic, I'm going to make a 9 to 11 song record every two years and tour it and then make another one. That's that's right. so rewarding to me. But what he doesn't do, which is you know what we were talking about with uh, Neil Young, which is like, you know, you could say, oh, well, Neil Young, also, it's so great that he keeps making them. <laughs> the thing distinctly about something like Destroyer, it's, which it's I all also good. love, I also love about Vampire Weekend, but it is like amazing that Dan Behar is able to do it as frequently as he completely shifts tone and style, or at least makes like a significant, fully cohesive, so well aesthetic thought out, philosophy. Distinct, totally, right. Each record has its own like sort of set of rules and palette, and it's been really interesting to see when he does fully change that around, and then sometimes when he doesn't change it around, he just goes deeper into a something like the past few records being really a great example of that yeah i was just gonna say that thing that you were just saying evan about his eras he's got things that he was doing in the early 2000s that are totally different than the record he just put out like labyrinthitis i guess that was what like 2022 uh and the other thing too about him is that you know he has this image of like almost this like romantic poet type guy i think some people look at him as almost being this like overly serious maybe even pretentious artist and then you dig into his lyrics or you interview him which i've been happy to do a couple of times he's really funny he's yeah. got a great sense of humor dry it's a it's a dry wit a lot of people i think don't get it but uh that's another thing that to me connects him to the greats that he can be profound yeah. and romantic but he also has this sly wit and the self-awareness some, about who he is, you know, there's so, some of the funniest lyrics ever are destroyer lyrics. Yeah, incredible lyrics, extraordinarily funny, extraordinarily poetic, difficult to parse in many cases, easy to just kind of let wash over you. I, I am a, a big fan of just kind of like hearing him spiel off word. After, I could read them, you know, listen to the man, read the phone book. But at the same time, these records all just are great rock records. Like he fucking kicks ass at making rock music. Right. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I, one thing I was marveling at while revisiting his catalog for this episode was just 
the amount of just beautiful music that he yes. has. I think, I think we, oh, yeah. and, and rocking music and, and uh, just the wide variety of it. Yeah, he like rocks way harder, I think, than he gets credit for. Totally. Too, especially, you know, uh, I think some of his very greatest records you can say that about. Um, but, you know, I, I was complaining about this recently, about how I feel like a lot of modern singer-songwriters are just doing the straight confessional thing. You know, there's yeah. this sort of parasocial requirement that it feels like artists have to have now, like where people feel like, okay, not only do I relate to you, but I think you're a good person. Like, right. I feel like I know who you are because yeah. I listen to your songs. And you have someone like Behar, who his music is personal, but he's not writing lyrics where you feel like, oh, he's writing about his wife or he's writing about this breakup and you can make a one-to-one connection to what he's doing. It is, again... That Dylan-esque style, you look at the lyrics and you're like, I don't know what this means literally. I don't know if it means anything literally, but the imagery here is striking. It's amazing to hear. There's so many just cool lines in there. And that kind of lyric writing, like I hope a lot of people, like younger songwriters, I think they should be studying this guy. This is like, you don't just have to be like Taylor Swift, you know, that very sort of, again, parasocial type of songwriting where it's like, oh yeah, no. the continuing adventures of Taylor Swift. Right, it's like, oh, she's writing about this famous person or she's writing, it's like, no, like you could also just create your own world on a record that is totally unique and idiosyncratic and you can't trace it to anything. It just exists on this record. I, well, he does it, that as well as anybody. It's like a state of the union is how I kind of feel like each record is. It's kind of like it the scope is very wide and it seems like each record to me, each destroy record is kind of an attempt to get into a lot of things about life as it is currently, but never by way of just directly writing about that. It's like the mood is um and the the aesthetic philosophy he brings to a, a given record says as much about what it that's where a lot of the information about how he feels about things exists is like what instrumentation is being used what kind of palette exists on any of these records um and there's a lot of intricate statements um and subtle comments being made through the relationship of the lyrics to the way a, a record sounds with him. Um, a lot of his lyrics are really referential like to rock music itself. Um, and then there's layers and layers of uh, sort of re- self-referential, generally referential uh, context that kind of keeps it feeling dynamic. Yeah. Dynamic well, is the we, word. Should we get into our list here? We each have five records that we picked. Yeah, let's yeah, do it. I, I mean, we could uh, we could spend hours talking about this guy. Maybe we will uh, come back and and knuckle down deeper if uh, if we dig this and if other folks out there dig it. But yeah, we can uh, we we can kick off with uh, a tour around the many wonderful worlds that Dan Behar has created for us. I'll start. Um, I want to throw out, I, I just because this is, I'm, I'm not going to get into this, and uh, I don't think either one of you guys are going to have this on your list, and it's not even technically on my list. I just wanted to make sure to register it on the ledger. Honorable mention, five Spanish songs. Incredible. Yes. Incredible yeah. EP. Love it. Um, hit me just at such an extraordinary moment in my life. That record is like an all-timer for me, but not in the top five, uh, as, as good, as great as it is. Uh, number five for me 
is one that, again, has like a very strong connection with a moment in time. I, all of these Destroyer records, I think, are like really uh, like there's a Proustian, you know, uh, memory type uh, feeling to all of them for me. I, I can imagine where I was in my life, where I was physically, spatially listening to this music. Have we met? Early 2020, as COVID is descending upon the world, starting with Crimson Tide, like one of my very favorite Destroyer songs of all time. Still sounds incredible to me every time I listen to it. Oh, yeah. Do yeah, you have was, any other Have We your, Met love here? It's not in uh, my... Yes. Okay. It's also my number five. Oh, there you go. All right. See, that, it, w- it didn't make my top five, but again, my top five is pretty fluid. It could have made it in. And I thought about this record, Evan, when you were making the point about how Behar can comment on the world without directly commenting on the world. And to me, Have We yeah. Met is such a great example of that. I, I just feel like in terms of capturing a mood... You know, and you could call it pandemic, you could call it like the Trump era. Like there's so much awful Trump era art that is so pedantic, you know, that it's not going to age well because it's so tied to like hashtag resistance type conversation. But have we met? I feel like you could put that on and be like, oh, yeah, that's how it felt to live. Yeah. Q Synthesizer. I mean, that song to me is like one of the kind of most bitter and angry it's like a protest song at least that's how it feels to me but he doesn't actually have to say it it's just the feeling is so strong such a such a great record i mean crimson tide it just doesn't happen just an all-time banger yeah yeah the raven man q synthesizer like you said which is like a like one of the funniest and uh, uh, most cutting songs i think that he's ever written and yet at the same time is just a badass like you love to hear that song uh, the way it ends with the Man in Black's Blues and Fool's Song, that like ping pong ball kind of fade out thing towards the end. It's just like, uh, I, it's, it's like I said, is is a very strong, florid memory of a <laughs> very bad time in everyone's lives. Um, so that was your five also, Evan. What was your five, Stephen? So like I said, I could put any album in the three through five slot with yeah. Destroyer. The first two, the top two on my list, I think are pretty set in stone but i'm gonna go with another record from the trilogy that he's just put out you know Mm. i i think have we met is the middle record of that trilogy you've got ken in 2017 as the beginning of that just sort of like Mm -hmm. 80s new wave cure new order type milieu that i think that he's been elaborating on over these records that i really really like i'm gonna go with his most recent record labyrinthitis as my number five it's a great record Uh, uh, beautiful record. I saw this tour and the band was incredible. I think that adds yeah. to my appreciation of this record. I think, you know, with Destroyer, his most famous record is Kaput. And yes. I'm curious to see where that lands, if it does, on either of your lists. Um, it didn't end up on my list. I'll say that right now. Wow. That's not a, that's not, not even a knock- in the top five. That's not, that's not a knock on Kaput. And again, if I made this list next week, it could be in my top five. But... One thing I really like about this recent trilogy that he's put out is that I feel like he's, in some ways, going back to some of the musical reference points on Kaput, but playing it more aggressively. Yeah. And uh, and for lack of a better term, like they rock harder than Kaput does. And I really like that. I really like that. Uh, I mean, I think a, a thread with my top five is that I tend to favor his harder rocking albums. Sure. So... Mm-hmm. To me, like Labyrinthitis has the energy of maybe some of his stuff that he did in the aughts with 
his more sort of modern nuance and sophistication. So it's like the best of both worlds, really, on this record. So it's at number five for me. That makes sense. I, I, Labyrinthitis isn't on mine. It was competing for that number five slot along with Have, we, Have we Met and another couple. Um, incredible record. That, that twosome, eat the wine, drink the bread into It Takes a Thief is just, I, we talked about it on Jokerman, I think, when it came out, but that is just like six minutes of the hardest rocking, most ass-kicking music that you're ever going to hear. And again, it's just... It, it's just good to acknowledge that he's still good. We do this with Dylan. Oh, it, it's yeah. not it's not just like his old records that we it's like his most recent record you could put in your top 5 and justify it. And almost and and important to note, right? Like uh, like you said Kaput is is kind of his biggest uh, record, you know, the moment that Destroyer really became a big brand name in the indie rock world or greater rock world or whatever, but like the man's been at it since the midnight. Like this is almost 30 years into his career, Labyrinthitis. Um it's it's an extraordinary kind of uh, uh just length of time. And uh, a variety of music that he's been able to to create over that over those years. Labyrinthitis is my number four. No, oh, right. so there you go. I just want to talk about it here. Yeah, I mean, I think that when I talk about the depth of that he sometimes just continues to for the past three, and it really is to me a trilogy as well um, of Ken, Have We Met, and Labyrinthitis. And I think that I thought with Have We Met that it would. I, I was like, how can he go further than this? I was kind of, I thought that with Ken too. I was like, wow, he's taken what he started with Kaput and now he's gone to this whole other level with it. And then he, he went even further with How Have We Met? And then with Labyrinthitis, it was like, like in a good way, like the nadir of those aesthetics. It kind of just like becomes, I think it's his most absurdist record and um, in a way kind of his coldest at times uh but that is fitting for the the stuff that is going on on it it actually is not it, it's hard to say if it's cold or not i mean have we met and labyrinthitis are a really interesting pair because they i think mine a lot of the same kind of emotional territory but labyrinthitis just like takes it to this deconstructed place that um or maybe if have we met as the deconstructed one and labyrinthitis is just like the pure chaos like dada but it has its own sort of uh sense of order yeah i i think have we met is the chilly one i actually feel yeah, labyrinthitis yeah. because it i don't know if fun is the right word but like there's an energy to labyrinthitis yeah that, that yeah and, and that's not a knock on have we met i think that's like part of the vibe of that record it, it, like the chilliness is like a strength of that album but i i just think um labyrinthitis is maybe a little more approachable and again that's yeah that, that that might be shaped by just seeing that tour which i thought was just incredible i thought his band was so great yeah and the playing on this record is just obscenely good and uh yeah it's in your heart now and it closes with the last song there those are like kind of warm there's moments of warmth and like a human touch in the midst of all that uh sort of synthetic chaos on labyrinthitis that have we met actually i think does leave things a little bit more open ended in this sort of bleak existential way um yeah, they definitely go They're, go together. They go together. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think have we met is you know ultimately a stronger record with bigger, higher you know higher highs. You know, I think Crimson Tide is like one of his all time great songs. Um, and, but Labyrinthitis is probably like a more 
it's more of a put it on record for me to use that terminology. It's just like, it's, it's such a great 45 minute package that just like sails by badass song after badass song. Um, I, you know, I love listening to it just like I love listening to have we met. So what's your number four? Ian? Trouble in dreams. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh see, is this that, is, is that too low or is that too hot? People are no, surprised I'm, by that. No, I, I'm I, glad that it's there. I'm glad that it's there. I, I think of that as like, uh, what street legal used to be for Dylan. I, yeah. I, I feel like it's a record that comes out in the middle. It's transitional. Well, it, it's a record that comes out like in a golden era, but like it's overlooked. Or maybe it's yeah. like a Planet Waves type record where, you know, it gets overlooked by the records that are around it. Uh, because there's two big classic Destroyer records on either side of Trouble and Dreams. I feel like at the time people considered that a letdown from from rubies which is so weird to me because it i mean let we'll save the rubies conversation for a little bit later um but i mean just on its own trouble and dreams sounds so big and 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 inspiring is maybe the wrong word but just like like just success like he's firing on all cylinders here man like it it's it's a it it feels like a just a classic kind of record um, you know, the songs are incredible. You've got some all time, like that foam hands into my favorite year back to back is like one of the, one of the high points of all rock music ever. Um, I'm like really fu- sort of confused about what my order, <laughs> how this is all playing out. If I, if it doesn't show up on mine, I just want to say that that's crazy that it doesn't. Cause yeah. Blue flower, blue flame, dark, dark leaves from a thread. thread. Yeah. Foam hands and my favorite foam hands, I think is the best song he ever wrote. Like just song just as like a, a ballad. I think it's like, if I could write, it's like, if, I could have written any song. I would have liked to have written that one. I think it's like the, one of the best songs ever. I need to revisit this record. This is a Destroyer record that it's among the ones I know the least well. Although sure. I, these songs that you're listening up, I'm like, oh yeah, that's a banger. Oh yeah, that's a banger too. That's so yeah, exactly. I, yeah. Those are all, yeah. I think it just hit the zeitgeist at kind of an inopportune moment, um, you know, for, you know, legacy making or, or memory's sake. You know, 2008 was the, the ascent of Boney Bear, Fleet Foxes, Grizzly Bear, uh, you know, freak, uh, freak folk kind of bullshit uh, that's just <laughs> that's good. But um, this wasn't necessarily on vogue at that, at that moment in time. Um, you know, it was kind of passing out. Again, it's between Rubies and Kaput. Kaput, yeah. So, again, it's like the record, you know, again, you could say it's like Planet Waves. It's like, why doesn't that get talked about more? It's like, well, because Blood on the Tracks came out right after. Right it after just it. takes all the, all the juice away from it. Um, but, yeah, again, a record that maybe some people would say isn't one of his best absolutely belongs in the top five. It's incredible. It's like, that, that's Destroyer. My number four, maybe the same vibe as that, is uh, Poison Season. Hell yeah. That's my number it, three. Is uh, Okay. So this is a record. Comes out after Kaput. I interviewed him for this record. And look, there was like a lot of hype for Destroyer when Kaput came out. It was maybe the one time like where the music he was making was sort of aligned with like what was trendy. What was happening, yeah. And in and, 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 Like you could... If you squinted, 
say like, oh, this is kind of similar to the chill wave stuff that's happening at this time. It's kind of similar to like the 80s obsession that was just starting to take hold. Yeah, it hit at the same time as like the suburbs, rock. you know, it's a, the, 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 the third Arcade Fire record. Like there's a world where Destroyer could, I mean, never, Dan never would have done this, but there is a world where he could have done the Wind Butler Arcade Fire thing. And, you know, thank God that he didn't. But, um, but yeah, yeah, he played Coachella that year or it was either 11 or 12. And you know, you mentioned how prolific he is. This was a long gap between Kaput and Poison Season. It was a four-year gap, right, uh, between records, and that clearly seems. I mean, I, I think he was touring a lot. In Spanish songs came out in in between. That the Spanish songs came out in thirteen, also. Right, but yeah, like a five-song EP sung in Spanish, like yeah, not a sure. full-fledged <laughs> state record from Destroyer. But um, you know, this record it really combines. You have like incredibly hard rocking songs on this record. You've got beautiful like string parts going on. I was just thinking about Dream Lover, which is like uh, the greatest Bruce yeah. Springsteen song that uh, Dan Behar ever wrote. Yeah, you know, the, and, and the, the Born to Run Dan Behar era is so great. And there are like some traces of like those pre-Born to Run. Springsteen records running through this album. So I'm totally in line for that. You know, we, Evan, you made uh, a point earlier talking about how referential Dan Behar's lyrics are. And it's true. Like he's constantly referencing other rock songs in his lyrics and he does it in like a not obvious way. Like one thing I love on this record is midnight meet the rain Mm. where he references hurricane and that song, and he says, like, just like the time before and the time before that, you know? Yeah, which oh, is wow. not a, yeah you're totally right. Which is not a famous lyric in that song, but I was like, that's totally like a subtle little Easter egg in that track. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Um, so, yeah, I, this is a record that, you know, it, it's not as cohesive, maybe, as some of the other records we're talking about. I think he is kind of drawing from different eras of what he's done and also... Again, I think leaning into the Springsteen thing, but uh, underrated record. I think it's a really strong album. Yeah, I yeah, it, like I said, it was my number three. It, this is a huge one for me. Um, coming after Kaput, you know, it was, we'll, I'll save Kaput for a little later. Uh, but it was like, you know, am I going to really fall in love all over again with this shit? And the answer was like an undisputed yes. So this is like Bangkok. I think might be my favorite Destroyer song ever. I mean, that's probably a hard call to make, honestly, but. When I listen to it, and especially when I see it perform live, I remember the 2015 um, tour that uh, they played. They played at the Regent downtown in, in Los Angeles, and they did Bangkok, and it just like brought me to tears. Um, and and the the Times Square like suite that he you know bookends this record with, and then Times Square, the song right there in the middle, is such a I think a brilliant lyric that is so like so effortlessly essentially Behar right like it 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 sounds kind of silly and frivolous and funny on the surface and yet for me you know in my listens to it and you know kind of growing with it over time it's taken on this like extraordinarily like resonant deep uh impact for me you know you could fall uh, you could fall in love with Times Square um and the rest of the record just sounds so lush and and well executed it's it's a really mature I think um extraordinary follow-up to the breakthrough record Kaput, right? Um, that um, is, is... And so different from Kaput. So different, like In exactly. so many ways, you know? Like and, but like... just as, like, well-conceived and just as big picture as Kaput, right? Like, you could have right. made... I feel like I feel like the records he's made since Poison Season, Ken, Have We Met, and Labyrinthitis, all great records, but they're a little more small-scale. They're, they're a little shorter, they're a little tighter, 
Um, they're not as messy, perhaps. And Poison Season, I think, is big, man. It is a big picture. It's a big sound. It is a, a real, like, heavy, artistic kind of thing. Um, it takes balls to make a record like this coming after Kaput. Well, it's very different. I mean, it's... I was surprised, I think, as everyone else was, that it, it was as different as it is to Kaput. It's um, the most, you know, acoustic sounding. It has a lot of uh, human touch, human scale, Warm. instrumentation. It's, yeah, it's, in, it, it's like, yeah, it's, it sounds like, there, I mean, there's strings and there's, there's a lot of acoustic guitar. It, it has that kind of throwback to a, an actual era gone by quality. But um, while it doesn't, uh, I, I, I love, I really like it, but I, it didn't make my list because uh, of uh, other records that I just, I think, just punch me harder. So no one's going to complain. So that was Ian's number three. What, what's your number three, Evan? My number three is Ken. Ooh. I knew you were going to have Ken on there somewhere. So I've got the, all three of the... I've, have we met Labyrinthites and Ken? The whole trilogy. The bottom three. I just had to. I mean, I think that I adore all three of them. And I actually just, for some reason, I, I think Ken is the one that I love the most of those three. I just think that the feeling of the like the the feelings in the lyrics i think are the most interesting like poetically um the most representative of like a link to that more human touch feeling of something like poison season but it it's a as a return to the more synthetic style of kaput uh i i just think it exists in this very um just a great sweet spot for me between those two things. And it, I just think it's a really, it's a really tight record. Uh, Sky's gray is just one of the greatest all timer openers uh, of his discography in the morning is one of my favorite songs from him. Um, I think he has songs about music and this is one of the best ones about, you know, the, the line about, bands sing their songs and disappear into the rhythm of the night. Like there's so much in that song about just sort of the futility of doing what he does and the idea of doing it anyway. Uh, they're extremely Jokerman mindset in sentiment. Um, I, I just think it's a, a, a kind of a gem of a record uh, among gems. So like when I made my list, Originally, I had Ken at number five, and then I called an audible when we started recording, and I said Labyrinthitis instead. So <laughs> I almost had kind of, I did have kind of my list, and I didn't say it was my number five. So it was like maybe it's like five B on my list. I, yeah, I, I love that record too. I it, it's so great, and that's the record that got me back into my recent Destroyer phase because when it came out, I liked it, but I listened to it, and then I quickly moved on. And recently I was inspired to uh, revisit it. And I was like, this is incredible. You know, it was that Bob Dylan feeling of like a record that you maybe didn't love when you first heard it and just being like, wow, like what, what did I not <laughs> hear the first time? It's so obviously great. So, yeah. yeah, I can't pay for this. All I've got is money. <laughs> There's so many good lines. So and good. Stay lost. I also loved on the bonus or the deluxe edition, there's a couple acoustic versions. Um, there's one, uh, I think, an acoustic stay lost that's really great. Um, it's just, 
uh, yeah. I mean, what, what can I say? Tinseltown swimming in blood, banger, oh, banger. Incredible. Yeah. I'm the Ken. I'm the Ken hater here. I'll 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 wear that uh, that crown of thorns. Go not back. that I think. Not that I think it's a bad record. But you got to go just, back to it. Go yeah, back. I, I, I was in. I was sort of ho hum on it, and then I revisited it recently, and I was like, "Fuck, I was wrong. This record's really, really good." So, go back, man. I'll spend You're some like time. It more. I just, you know, it, it's tough for me because I think of Sky's Gray is one of the very greatest Destroyer songs of all time, and then then the record just. I just want to listen to Sky's Gray again. Um, what do you have at three, Steve? Uh, so we've all kind of done like recentish Destroyer records so yeah. far. I'm gonna go way back for my number three to 2002. This night, this night. Oh. All right, wow. number three. And I just looked this up. This record got a 4.4 from Pitchfork in the 4. moment. 4.4. <laughs> and and oh, their and their criticism of the record was that coming after Street Hawk, a seduction that Street Hawk, a seduction, just like this perfectly composed rock record, like. I won't say anything more about that right now. Yeah. yeah. I'll get to that later. But this night in comparison is this 15 song, 68 minute, sprawling, messy, sounds like the band is drunk at like two in the morning playing the record, super blurry. And that's what I love about it. Yeah. I, I, I love, this is like Destroyer's XL on Main Street. You know, this is like the blonde on blonde we're recording said I lady of the lowlands, you know, late at night, you know, after Bob has been taking speed and scribbling out the lyrics in the studio. <laughs> and now we're going to get all the, the Nashville cats in and we're going to just play a super blurry, but you know, just gorgeous, uh, song. I mean like, Hey, snow white, come on, man. Sure. Just, just that performance. And I, I you know, I'll concede that I don't know if the songwriting is as strong on this record as some of the other records that we've talked about, but in terms of the performances on the record and the vibe of the record, yeah, uh, it's just one that I I love so much. And I and I will say I think that like the early aughts Destroyer is like his mid sixties Dylan period for me, like where he's like brilliant after that, but it's like this is the shit for me. With Destroyer. The highest of the high, you're saying? Where you're just like, he's doing something that I've always wanted someone to do. Right. Mm. And he's putting things together in a way. It's like, oh, like if I could, if I had the kind of musical talent that he did, this is the kind of record I would want to make. You know, like where you've got the knowledge of rock history, but you're also just taking it in a totally unique and different direction. Because um, I think there were other people making records like this at the time. You know, you could talk about like the Hold Steady or even like the national records that were being made. Mm. They weren't as they weren't doing what Destroyer was doing. Yeah, like, he, this is not just like kind of quoting musical cues from the past and and I, and I love those other bands. Like I don't want to knock them, but I just think that he did that in a way that was so different that he could turn it into something new, even as it reminded you of something old. Um, so yeah, I I don't know if this record made your list. I feel like this record's maybe a little unsung in his catalog. But it is. I, I, I'm glad I, I it. you listed it because it's not on my list. But it's a record that, as you're talking about it, I really want to buy it on vinyl for the purpose of it being that kind of thing that I want on you know just a record to actually be able to put on as just a a vibe like, and it's long and just sort of yeah the sprawling sort of nocturnal quality it has 
it's one I should return to. I, I agree with everything you said about it. Yeah, I will, for my part, say that earlier Destroyer records are, are more of a blind spot for me. Because um, uh, I came in at Kaput, as I'm sure many other people did, which, you know, it says more, you know, that's my own fuck up. Uh, but I, I, and weirdly, I kind of came from like my own personal experience because I've, I've spoken before about how like my father has played a big impact on the music I like and dislike. And he was a huge New Pornographers fan, still is a huge New Pornographers fan. And I always was like, you know, thought they were good, but also like there was something kind of like just not for me about it. You know, Twin Cinema and, and um, uh, what was it New Rom- Mass Romantic. Um, and, uh, and so I had this kind of negative, not negative, but like connotation of Dan Behar is like, I, I just misunderstood him. I thought he was something else. Um, and so these earlier records, I mean, this night came out when I was 10 years old. Um, it just wasn't something that ever really interested me. And yeah, I mean, uh, that record is so different from a new, no, of course. Record. Yeah. I'm totally like, wrong here. It's not like a power pop shiny. And I like the new, I like, especially that era of new pornographers. I like a lot, but even the songs that Behar wrote for the new pornographers are like, they're not like these, especially no, on this night. This night is like a mess, but it's a beautiful mess. Yeah, I got to spend more time with it is, is all I'm saying, because I, I came to the Destroyer Party late and I haven't worked my way back. Uh, City of Daughters and uh, The Temple, you, you, you've never uh, gotten into Mm-mm. those? Oh, then you, you got a lot of good stuff ahead of you. Or not The Temple, Thief, rather. Uh, yeah, I've got that from 2000. I, I'm I'm stoked Destroyers about it because I've got I've got so much so much more delicious shit to sink my teeth into. <laughs> uh, Thief is really good. Uh, honorable mention, Thief. Uh, number two, Evan. Oh, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, Sweet wow. Hawk. That's me too. That's my All right. number two as well. Yeah, it's per- a perfect album. Yeah, it's a completely perfect album. I mean, I could put it at number one, but, but I'm putting it at number two. But it's perfect. I mean, street. I was listening to all of the early stuff. I I had the discography, um, and after I, you know, Kaput was like the first record I heard, and or no, Rubies was the first record I heard actually, um, and I loved it. And so then I got all of them, and I I think that when I discovered street hawk i had heard the first two and it's just like such a quantum leap from as good as those first two are uh street hawk is like uh i don't know it's it can't be overstated like how good he is at coming up with guitar riffs and coming up with just musical phrases that are like they feel so obvious and nobody else does them like he does it's just so they're so in, instantly memorable and and catchy and dramatic. Yeah, and they're all over this thing. There's not every song practically. And as for like his reference of rock lyrics past, I mean, the, the you've got the spirit, don't lose the feeling uh, moment. And is that in the bad arts? Well, I was gonna say my favorite Destroyer song is Sublimation Hour. Number yeah, one with a so bullet. good. Wow. Uh, that song. I mean, this record, I feel like it sounds like a record that came out in 1974 <laughs> from a Canadian genius who somehow was able to fuse early Springsteen 
with David Bowie and Mott the Hoople and made a bizarro Heartland Rock slash Glam Rock masterpiece that somehow wasn't released until 2001. It was like <laughs> lost in a vault somewhere and then it got released. And we have all these different eras of Destroyer and I'm glad he's evolved as he has. I mean, I, I, mean, I love his whole catalog, but if he had just kept making records like this, like I probably would still love him. You know, sure. like this, like this is such a totally up my alley type record, but also unpredictable. Like it's not just pushing sort of standard traditional classic rock buttons. It's deconstructing classic rock and putting it together in this sort of art rock shape that also delivers the goods. You know? Yeah. Like, every time. Like it's a comment on that kind of record, but it gives you the, it's not just like this arty, sort of meditation on it no he's giving you the goods too like just yes. like a great yeah, like as good as anybody ever has and the that's kind of the the magic thing about it too is that like as much as i like a lot of glam rock music there's something keeping me from really loving a lot of it i don't know there's just a distance like he bridges that by making it, those references to older music and just certain of his lyrical flourishes like they just make me feel very confident of like what uh, that of being in good hands and of having this there's a self-awareness to what he does that makes me really feel like I'm able to look at this thing three-dimensionally rather than just as an object like that's a cool song these songs kind of know about cool songs and then they also are as cool as any song has ever been. Yeah, absolutely. The that riff on Sublimation Hour is just fucking. I'm listening to it right now again. It's oh, it's so yeah. badass. It, it's like he's like, I'm gonna rip off, you know, all the young dudes, but also maybe make it like all the young dudes a little, a little bit better, better. You know, <laughs> like yeah. you know, but like I'm gonna remind you that song, but I'm also gonna maybe improve upon that song with it. This is it's an amazing. Amazing song. The set piece moment of even destroyers have a price. It's just like, come on. Man. It's like anybody that's so hard to pull off. Like it could be so corny, but the song is just so good that it 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 works. Can we just say too, we haven't commented on his vocals. I think his vocal style too is a significant part of like why these songs come over and, and maybe this is another thing that we can link him to Dylan because you know Behar's vocal delivery is as idiosyncratic as as Dylan's is yeah and it and it, yeah. it's something that like like he's obviously in some ways limited as a vocalist but I I find him to be such an expressive singer like totally. where he can like like Bob Dylan convey simultaneous emotions at once where it can be heartbreaking it can be like a little sort of self-deprecating it can be uh you know commenting on itself but also delivering the emotion of the song um i don't know it's he's such a great singer i mean i, I just had to throw that out there we haven't really talked about his vocal style but yeah have you uh, met anyone who hates it because i have <laughs> oh absolutely i think a lot of i think that is like one of the barriers with him that maybe prevents him from being more uh successful I was on a a date years ago and um, this girl was like really into a lot of music that I I was like, okay, it's safe. I can just play, I can play Destroyer. She was into like songs, Ohio and stuff. And I was like, all right. 
and I put it on and I just remember there being like a deep silence and then I am not about to be the next Destroyer fan, is what she said. Oof. Ooh. Brutal. Well, I'm guessing there wasn't a follow-up date after that. There wasn't. <laughs> uh, Ian, what's your number two? Um, well, I mean, I, I want to before I say my number two, I want to say I think it, honestly, it seems like it's shaping up that we all might have the same number one. So well, I'm just gonna let that sit for the time I, being. It, no, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I guess we'll see. Um, but we haven't had this conversation yet, and uh, uh, I feel like this is too basic of a pick. But you know, I can't not have been 19 years old in the year 2011 when Kaput came out, and it just fucking blew my mind and made me fall in love with this man head over heels. It's just like it's still a perfect record. I know it's almost corny to say at this point, but front to back, immaculate, immaculate songs. Uh, uh, everyone is its own, you know, hilarious, great American novel, fucking Savage Night of the Opera, Suicide Demo for Carol Walker, Bay of Pigs, the title track, Chinatown, Blue Eyes. It's just like banger, banger. Every single song on there is perfect, perfectly conceived, perfectly executed. Um, It's one of just exceedingly few albums, I think, that anyone has ever made where it's like just... I can't find a fault with this. Is if I'm going on the pitchfork scale, this is a 10.0 record. Full stop. Um, you know, basic, sure, but it's, it's not basic. You don't have to say that. I, basic. This would have been. Yeah. This could have been on my list next week. It could have been my number two on my list. This is a great record. I I would never say anything bad about Kaput. Kaput's great. I mean, come well, on. I I agree. Uh, I'll just say. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Uh, is that so? It's your number one. It is my number one. Okay, yeah. good. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that I have. I'm glad that I have my fellow. I know what millennial your guys' number one is. I think. Oh, so okay. This is interesting. Okay, we'll talk about why is Kaput your number one. Well, everything Ian just said, but uh, I mean, every time I come back to it, I just never get sick of it. Every time I come back to it, since I first heard it and loved it, it just is more and more impressed upon me how that like, I mean, I just am in awe of how perfect it is. I just there's not another record where I feel like it's everything is so dialed in and it's so rare to get a record that's like that like so slick and funny in the way that it is slick but also just transcends any kind of kitschiness it becomes just the best version of the thing it's kind of doing and those songs are just like banger after banger after banger after banger Every time I put it back on, I'm just like, oh, wow, I get to listen to this one now? Oh, wow. And this one? And it's, I don't even know what else competes with it. Like, it's really a record that from the first time I heard it, I could not believe that it was as good as it was. Like, it just seemed impossible to have this many things going right at the same time it's such it's such a just fucking achievement and and almost and, and you know i guess I, I i the reason i say it's like basic or chalk or, or predictable or whatever is because it feels very 2011 very caught up in that you know particular slice of the culture um but just accidentally though exactly that's yeah, what i was gonna say it's like, like this, this record is so much bigger than any like any other record basically that came out in 2011 at this point and and is like such a just lasting significant uh art with a capital A type of album. Um, I, what you said earlier about Street Hawk, Stephen, repackaging classic rock in an art rock form and giving you the goods, that's exactly what I get from Kaput, except it's not Mott the Hoople, it's like Steely Dan. 
Um, and um, See, I think it's more like Roxy Music or Roxy Avalon. Music, Avalon. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because because like this record got compared to Steely Dan a lot, but like Steely Dan is isn't as romantic sounding as as Caput uh, is to me. Sure. Like sure. like Caput just has like a it, it's sexy. That's a sexy record. Sure like, is. And, <laughs> yeah. And like Gaucho. I love Gaucho, but like that's not like a sexy record. It's almost that there's like a there's a coldness and a bitterness to that album. That's the strength of it. But Kaput, Kaput is it, what people say. Like Kaput is actually like kind of Gaucho too. It's like Gaucho beyond Thunderdome. It's amazing. It's like I, I Kaput is more similar or not similar beyond Custardome. I get like I was, Asia, it's more Asia coded than than Gaucho coded to me. It just makes me think of like. Avalon, but like yeah, Avalon, era. absolutely more than you know, this. Ugh. Like Brian Ferry in the in the tuxedo with the Falcon, I I, I get those. It's kind better of, than those. It's better than that. Yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, listen, uh, uh, Avalon is one of my all time favorite records, but I think that's what I love about Destroyer is that he's able to make Avalon basically, but then also there's so much more than just kind of the texture and the atmosphere and the imagery that comes along with that record, which I feel like I'm 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 putting down Avalon unfairly, but like the the Kaput is just operating on another level, a higher level for me. At the same time as it is this beautiful, fully realized sonic, you know, playground. Well, and I think one thing that gets lost a little bit too in time is that it was pretty bold to put out a record like that in 2011. Uh, right, where he's referencing these late 70s, early 80s records in a completely non-ironic way. Right, like he he's not going for the easy joke, which is what a lot of people would have done. Sure. In his place. Like they would have, you know, taken advantage of the signifiers and, you know, draw people in, but then they would have kind of done it like with an arm's length type, you know, again, irony to it. And there's no irony to it. He's just, he's using this avenue because it's the best way to communicate and put these songs over. Yeah. I think that's an underrated aspect of the record. It's not in my top five. And the only reason why, and this isn't a criticism of the record, it's just that like I've listened to Kaput so many times that when I listen to Destroyer now, I kind of want to hear other records first. Yeah, so I, so I may, get that so way. I so I might be taking I, I so in a way I'm taking it for granted, you know. But again, I could put ten records in my top five easily, you know. Like so, Kaput is a brilliant record, not on my list. I guess we'll see, Ian, if we have the same number one. Well, your number two it, is Street Hawk, right? Yeah, and my number one, I'll say, is Rubies. Rubies, my, yep. That's your ding, number ding, one. Ding. Yep. It, di- it didn't make Evan's list. I'm curious. But I, I, it was the first one that I ever heard, and I love. You hear it, that, folks? Evan hates it. Rubies. Evan does not like <laughs> Rubies. He thinks Rubies is bad. He thinks that Painter in Your Pocket is a bad song, not okay, one of the greatest let, things that's ever been recorded. Evan Before is... you guys start no, talking not. about no, how no, great it is, <laughs> I'm kidding. I'll just say that I think that the uh, the, I, the reason it's not on my list is because um, if I'm being like totally honest with myself, I I think that I don't listen to a lot of it. I love the title track, maybe more. It, it's maybe one of my favorite songs ever, but I don't listen to that much to the rest of the record mm. as much as I like it. Um, the other records to me, they just kind of have a little bit more of an addictive quality. I I adore Rubies, and I think the title track is at, is Destroyer at his absolute peak, like at his best. But uh, yeah, that's my piece on on the the record. Fair yeah, enough. I mean, what I would say about Rubies is pretty much everything I said about Street Hawk, except 
by 10% better. Like, yes. I, I, I feel like, you know, that, uh, that thing that he does where it's like, I'm going to make a record from the 70s in the 2000s and I'm going to remind you of why you love those records from the 70s, but I'm not going to just repeat it in a predictable way. He did that on Street Hawk. I think he does it just like a little bit better on Rubies. You know, like those records, I think, again, like I said, my top two are pretty well set and Rubies and Street Hawk are almost like 1A and 1B. I just think Rubies, maybe like Street Hawk is Highway 61 and Rubies is Blonde on Blonde. Blonde on Blonde, yeah. You yeah. know, where it's like Highway 61 is so focused and perfect and everything sounds incredible. And then Blonde on Blonde, it's the same formula, but it's a little bit druggier, a little more far out. And some days I prefer Highway 61 to Blonde on Blonde, and some days I prefer Blonde on Blonde to Highway 61. But I just feel like Destroyer on Rubies, like European oils. I mean, give me a oh. fucking break. It just there's just your so blood. Many, your blood. Yeah. Okay. Just, it was almost. It was on my list. We're not. Te- it, say. Yeah. Well, look, I, did, I, I, I I didn't put Kaput on my list. That that's like the. Balls, you know, that's maybe the most contrarian thing. I suppose. That's more contrarian than not putting rubies on. I guess I just, uh, to me it wasn't, I mean, I really wanted to put it on, but I did really feel like I wanted to put on the trilogy of those records I listed first, and that left two spaces. So I figured, like, Street Hawk kind of does what I love about rubies in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I think rubies balances out. For me, rubies is just the whole package. Like, it's... Some I love I love Shaggy Destroyer you know long epic just endless all over the map type of shit you get that on Ruby's the song right I love oh, kind amazing. of scronking ugly just like fucking around like you know riffing in the studio kind of Destroyer you get that on Sick Priest at the very end I love just the most romantic uh, effortlessly Renaissance painting ass like beautiful on its face Destroyer poetry you get that on Painter in Your Pocket. It's it's a tight record, I think, that totally hangs together from beginning to end. It's also kind of a shaggy, you know, a looser record that, like, takes its time and stretches out a little bit. It's it's definitely not as tight as any of the more recent records, uh, but it's also not as loose and all over the place as, like, This Blood, for instance. Um, it, it's just like, I don't know, it, it's anything that I'm looking for in Destroyer is represented on Rubies at some point. And so if I just want to... If I want to listen to Destroyer, like Ruby's is like, that's it, man. You got the whole fucking snow globe in your hand right there. Can I just say, I want to make an honorable mention. Uh, I think you guys both did honorable mentions. I want to do an honorable mention for your blues. Yes. On here, uh, which is. Yeah, also on my, was a contender. Uh, it was on there. Maybe the weirdest record he's ever made. Definitely the most daring, I think. Uh, it, it feels like, even with all these stylistic changes that he's made in his, uh, career that record feels like a solar system onto itself and i feel like it gets overlooked a lot when you just talking about his great 2000s era record so didn't make my top five but i've always had a soft spot for that album so your blues which is like the least bluesy album to have the word <laughs> blues in the title of all time uh uh, have you listened to like the what's the very he what's the ninety six record that he put out? Have you have you guys listened to that? I don't think so. Golden Golden Bridge, like I I don't even remember. I I built you a golden bridge. I brought you a golden bridge. Something yeah. like that. 
Not, I feel, not much. Not really. Yeah, no. I've never, I've never it's even a heard a single spot. second. Night, of it. I like, just, like I'll say, '90s Destroyer is like a bit of a blind spot for me in general. Like I don't know those records quite as well. Like Street Hawk is kind of the beginning of me, like being deep with his records. So you yeah, know, we're so you know we we might have to do this episode again. We got to dig into the '90s records. Maybe we'll totally upend our top fives. Yeah. I, I mean, uh, I would love to talk about those early Destroyer things well that's why uh that's why he's the man dan behar you are the official never ending stories uh dumb man of the week um <laughs> yes <laughs> uh folks uh let us know what we uh our, our biggest bungles and fuck ups here in the comments uh hopefully this isn't quite as uh um uh heartrending and uh, explosive as the new morning conversation but I, I think every like every destroyer record got some love here right or every destroyer record from the last 20 years right street hawk this blood, uh, uh, your blues, rubies, uh, trouble and dreams. Did I? What did I say? I was just listening. This blood. I was just listening to to your blood, where yeah. he says your blues in in your, your blood, blood, which I feel like yo blues. I feel like that's him commenting on his own fucking discography at that point. Um, yeah, man, destroyer, badass. Mm-hmm.